Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back somewhere near you. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that Bible home. And that Bible is our gift to you. And we'll also have most of the verses on the screen as well today. But Luke chapter number 24 is where we're going to be this morning. And we'll start reading verse number 36. And Cole, if I could get my table, that would be great. Luke chapter 24, verse number 36. The Bible says this, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Everybody say, Peace. Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Verse number 38. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Thank you so much. In verse number 39, it says this, Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as he see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, they wondered and said, Have you, and he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say fulfilled. Turn to your second option and say fulfilled. Fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you and lift up your name. God, thank you that you have power over the grave. And Lord, I pray that your resurrection power would be known today. And that we would be able to understand what these verses mean uh, in our lives today. And that we would be able to apply them to our lives as well. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today. I love it when my children draw me pictures. I have three kids under 10, and they will draw me pictures. And every time I get a picture from one of my children that drew something for me, I always try to save it and put it in a file because I want to be able to look at those pictures later. And I remember when my daughter Liv uh, drew a picture uh, for me when she was our only child, and she drew a picture of our family. She drew a picture of myself and Katie and herself, and we were all kind of stick figures. And everybody was smiling in the picture, and it was a great picture. But I noticed on my stick figure, she drew a circle around my waist. And I said, Liv, why did you draw a circle around my waist? And she said, Dad, that's your big belly. And in that moment, I knew uh, something needs to change. I grabbed the keys, and Katie said, where are you going? I said, LA Fitness. I need to go and take care of this. And uh, in that moment, I knew that something needed to change. You know, there's something innate within all of us as human beings that desires change. 
there's something that interests us about transformation. Uh, we're all interested in a home that gets remodeled or a, a makeover or a great weight loss story. Uh, we value stories of transformation because stories of transformation are always intriguing and inspiring. And I have good news for us on Easter Sunday because the story of Easter is a story of transformation. The message of the gospel is a message of transformation. The message of Jesus Christ is a message of transformation. That he can take what is old and transform it and make all things new. Uh, that is why at Rock Hill, long before we started our church, we came up with a mission statement that would be the driving force of our church. And that mission statement is reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Can I tell you today that God loves you exactly how you are, but he loves you too much to leave you exactly how you are. He wants to change you and transform you from the inside out because that's who he is. We worship the God of transformation. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, uh, in, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image, that we are changed into the image of God, that he wants to transform us, that, that God does not want you just to turn over a new leaf. He wants you to experience a whole new life. When Jesus came, he preached his first uh, message uh, in his earthly ministry there in, in the synagogue in Nazareth. Jesus was raised in Nazareth, and he went back to his hometown. He went to the synagogue there. He opened up the scroll. He went to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he started to read prophet Isaiah. And the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 61. This was the same section that Jesus read his first uh, message that he preached. It says this, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And this is the message of Easter. This is the message of what Jesus has to offer, that if you are hurting, that if you are mourning, he can trade your mourning for joy, that he can take your ashes and make something beautiful, that he can take your garment of heaviness. Maybe you walked into the room today and you are carrying something heavy that no one else knows about. I want you to know that our God can take your garment of heaviness and turn it into a garment of praise. Is anybody thankful today that we worship the God of transformation and there is nothing that is too hard for him? And today, maybe you are in a circumstance in your life where you desire change. Maybe it's with a relationship that needs to change. Maybe it's with your health that you desire change. Maybe it's your bank account that you might desire change. Anybody desire change in your bank account today? There might be a circumstance in your life where you desire change. I was reading about uh, the SpaceX crew from 2021. They went and visited uh, the International Space Station, and on their way back, the space capsule, uh, the toilet that was in the space capsule uh, broke, and they could not use the toilet. And so on their descent, they all, all the astronauts on board had to wear diapers on their descent back. And they interviewed one of the astronauts and said, what were the conditions like? And she said the conditions were suboptimal. How many of you would agree with that assessment, that that would be a suboptimal condition to be wearing a diaper while you're in space. And uh, uh, that was a circumstance that they certainly wanted to change. You know, a lot of times when we're in life and we're experiencing an unfavorable circumstance, we often ask God to change something externally. But I wonder if God wants to change something internally. That before he changes something out there, he wants to change something in here. 
that he wants us to experience that transformation on the inside. Now, we come to Luke chapter number 24 today, and really, uh, we see this message of resurrection power and this transforming message in Luke chapter 24. Uh, Jesus enters the room, and he changes everything for the disciples. They change their perspective. They change their passion. They change their purpose. Jesus really turns their lives upside down in this passage. Now, to give you a little bit of context, maybe so you can get your bearings as to where we are in Luke chapter 24, uh, this gospel was written by a man named Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a detailed historian. Many secular authors outside of the Bible uh, greatly value the writings of Luke because he wrote with such historical precision. Uh, many times they will, uh, often secular writers will go to the gospel of Luke to verify certain dates and times and cities because Luke wrote as a detailed historian. And Luke is writing in Luke 24, and this is the day of the resurrection. This is the evening of the resurrection. Jesus conquered uh, death. He is alive, and there are two disciples that are traveling that day, and they're walking, the Bible tells us, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, one of those disciples was named Cleopas. Uh, we're not sure who the other disciple was. Perhaps it was his wife. But they were walking along that day on the road to Emmaus, and as they're walking, uh, they were talking about the events of the weekend, the crucifixion of Jesus and all of the chaos that was happening in Jerusalem. And as they're walking and talking, Jesus shows up and starts talking with them. And they have one of the most profound and interesting conversations in all of Scripture. They have a little Bible study along the way. And these disciples are so excited to see Jesus, the fact that he is alive. They are so ecstatic that as soon as they get to Emmaus, they turn right around and they make the journey right back to Jerusalem because they had now a message to share. Now they wanted to tell people, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We need to tell other people about this. They go and they find the other disciples in this upper room, and that's where we are in Luke 24. In fact, notice verse number 33 of our text today, if you have a Bible. It says this. It says, And as they rose up the same hour, they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. They had one powerful, life-changing message. The Lord is risen indeed. And they say in verse number 34, and he hath appeared unto Simon. And so here's what you need to know, that all of the disciples had one consistent message that day. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. That was their message. They didn't change their story. One consistent message, Jesus is alive. By the way, that message is the very foundation of our faith. Without the resurrection, our faith collapses. The resurrection is not just simply a component to our faith. It's the center of our faith. And, and so uh, people will try to dismantle uh, the resurrection narrative because if you can disprove the resurrection, you can dismantle all of Christianity. Paul said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. And so for years and centuries, even since the first century, people have been trying to disprove and dismantle the resurrection by changing the narrative, by changing the story. We know this all the way back in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter number 28, it says this in verse number 12, and when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, say ye. In other words, here's the story that you need to tell. Uh, here's what we want you to tell people if they ask, where is Jesus and where is the body of Jesus? Here's the story. Let's make sure that we have the same story. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. That's the story that we're going to go with, that people just came, his disciples came, stole his body, and so that's what we're going to tell everyone. Notice that they could not deny the reality of the resurrection. And since they could not deny the reality of the resurrection, they decided to distort the story. 
Let, let's change the story. Let's change the narrative surrounding uh, the resurrection. And so the disciples, they're in this room. They're sharing this story. Uh, they're processing. They're talking with one another. They're talking about the fact that they saw Jesus. He is alive. And as they're talking, Jesus shows up in the room. And when he shows up in the room, everything changes. Can I tell you today that when you have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. When you come to meet Jesus Christ and come to know him as your savior, everything in your life will change for the better. That's the kind of God that we worship. And so as Jesus is talking to them, I believe that in this text, we learn three powerful ways that our God can transform us from the inside out. And today, if you'd like to jot a couple of these things down, if you'd like to take some notes, I want to give us three ways that God can transform our lives. Number one is this this morning. He takes our chaos and he gives us calm. I'm thankful that Jesus can take our chaos and he can give us a calm. Notice how our text starts in verse number 36. It says this, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Jesus didn't knock. He didn't ring the doorbell. The Bible says in Matthew's gospel that the door was locked and Jesus just showed up in the midst of them. Jesus was in his glorified, resurrected body. He did not have the physical limitations of a physical body. And so he shows up in the midst of them. And this is what he says. Peace be unto you. That was his message. Peace be unto you. You know, there was a pastor several years ago that was asking his children's ministry, what do you think the first thing that Jesus said when he resurrected from the grave? What was the very first thing that he said? And there was a little girl that rose her hand and she said, ta-da. That was the first thing that she thought that Jesus said, ta-da. I don't know if he said ta-da, uh, but I do know that he said, peace be unto you. Jesus delivered a message of peace because the disciples were overcome with fear. The fact that the door was locked in Matthew's gospel tells us that they were afraid of the Roman authorities. They thought that they might come and arrest these followers of Jesus. They might come and arrest or worse, kill these disciples of Jesus. And so they are afraid of what might happen. They're in the room talking and then Jesus shows up in the midst of them and notice how they respond in verse 27. Verse 37, it says, but they were terrified and affrighted supposing that they had seen a spirit. They thought they saw a ghost. Now, this really reveals the fickle nature of our faith because they were just sharing the same consistent message with one another. They were saying, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You saw him? Yeah, we saw him too. Jesus is alive. And then Jesus shows up in the midst of them and they say, there's a ghost. And so they were unsure about what they were seeing, and they thought that they saw a spirit. And uh, they were having a hard time uh, ascertaining what was going on. I find it fascinating that there was a disconnect. I want you to see it. There was a disconnect between what they believed and what they perceived. Often in life, this is where we struggle. We struggle to reconcile the things that we believe and the things that we perceive. We believe that there's a God but we perceive that there is so much evil and suffering in the world today, and how do we reconcile what we believe and what we perceive? But I want you to know that faith is not about what we perceive in the world. Faith is about what we believe in God's word, that we have a more sure word of prophecy, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the disciples, they were trying to ascertain what was taking place. They were filled with fear, filled with anxiety, and the first words that Jesus gives them is a message of peace. You know, today, there are people that are trying to find peace in all the wrong places. 
So many people are hurting. They're suffering with anxiety. They're suffering with mental anguish. Uh, They're suffering with mental pain. Uh, So many people today are filled with fear as to what might happen. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ today offers a peace that passes all understanding. So many people are searching. In fact, I read uh, just this past week in India uh, that on Valentine's Day in India, the government officials issued a word, and they were encouraging people for Valentine's Day to go and to find a cow and to hug a cow. And this is why they said to do this in India. This was the official government statement from India. Hugging cows will bring emotional richness and increase individual and collective happiness. And so today, if you're searching for happiness, you can try it. I don't know. Let's see what it does for you. People are trying to find peace and happiness so often in in obscure places. But when Jesus arrived in the room, peace arrived in the room because Jesus is the personification of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. And today, if you are searching for peace and happiness and satisfaction, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ because he is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and the life. Whatever you need, Jesus can supply and meet your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up to the room, he offers peace, but he also offers comfort. Because if you recall, the disciples had failed Jesus. They had failed Jesus. They didn't believe some of the things that they couldn't believe their ears. And they had failed him in that moment, and yet Jesus comes and offers comfort. How many of you in your life have ever made a substantial failure? Anybody like that? You made a failure? I remember when I was a teenager... I was very excited to get my license, and I was so excited to go and take my drive test, and I went and I took my drive test, and I failed my drive test. And then all of my friends were asking me, how did it go? And I was like, oh, it was okay, you know, you know. <laughs> then I went to go take my drive test again for the second time, and I failed again. And uh, then everyone was asking me, how did it go? And I was like, oh, you know, it was fine. You know, it went pretty good. And, uh, but the reality was, I failed in that moment, and I was kind of embarrassed about that and kind of shame, uh, filled with shame about that. And I can't help but think in this story, in this narrative in Luke 24, about Peter. Because Peter had just denied Christ three times. If anyone knew about the reality and the shame associated with failure, it was Peter. If anyone knew about the embarrassment of letting Jesus down, it was Peter. If anyone had a cloud of guilt hanging over his head, it was Peter. And yet Jesus walks into the room and he says, peace be unto you. And he offers peace and he offers forgiveness this morning. I don't know what your past looks like, but I know this. Your future is bright in Jesus Christ because he offers the forgiveness of our sins. He offers freedom in Jesus' name. And so today, no matter what your past looks like, I know that his mercies are new every morning. And I'm thankful today that we worship a God that is able and willing and desires to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is something that Peter felt on a very real level. Uh, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. He said, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy. I believe Peter felt that. He knew all about the abundant mercy that hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus is alive, abundant mercy is available. And so he takes our chaos and he gives us calm. He walks in the room and says, peace be unto you. But then secondly today, not only does he take our chaos and give us calm, secondly today he takes our concern and he gives us credibility. Now, the disciples in this moment, they had some concerns. To be honest with you, they had some doubts. They had some skepticism. Uh, They weren't sure as to what they should believe and what was going on. And perhaps you walked into the room today, and if you're being honest, you have some doubts, and you have some skepticism. 
And I don't know if I really believe this. And I don't know uh, how I know to trust that the Bible is true and how we know about the validity of the resurrection. And, and uh, we uh, might have some doubts today. And if you have doubts today, I would just say I am so glad that you're here. Because the God that we worship, Jesus Christ, does not shy away from our doubts. He doesn't shy away from our questions. Uh, our questions, our concerns, do not make Jesus nervous. In fact, Jesus doesn't shy away from questions. He welcomes them. Can I tell you that we have a faith that welcomes questions? If you're ever in a religious environment and they do not encourage questions, you're probably in the wrong environment. And so Jesus, he exposes uh, their doubts and he exposes their concerns. Notice it in verse 38. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Do you notice how Jesus exposes their doubts? He says, let's get it out on the table. What are your hesitations? Why are you troubled? Uh, why are you concerned? Why are you skeptical? Uh, they were skeptical. Is this really, did he really rise again? Uh, in Jesus' day, there were two primary groups of religious leaders. Uh, there were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. How many of you have ever heard of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? You've heard of these two groups of people? Now, the main difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the fact that the Sadducees denied the reality or the possibility of a resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see. There's a church joke for you today. And so they, they were skeptical of a resurrection, and that's where the disciples were. They were skeptical. I, I don't know. Is this something that we can believe? But today, we need to understand on Easter Sunday that Jesus can take our concerns and give us credibility. Because what he does is he gives them evidence. By the way, your doubt can actually be used for your benefit. That your doubt can be a good thing. Because sometimes we have to walk through that foyer of doubt to enter the sanctuary of certainty. Sometimes we have to navigate those difficult questions so that we can have confidence in uh, that which we believe. And, and so Jesus is going to give some evidence. And by the way, can I tell you that we have a faith that comes with fact and evidence. And so Jesus provides this. Notice what he does in verse 39. If you're with me today, would you say amen? amen. Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself, handle me and see. Well, what Jesus was saying is this is not a figment of your imagination, that you are not just having some hallucination. Many people today will say Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. All of his disciples thought that. They thought that they saw him, and they were hallucinating. And Jesus says, I want you to feel me. I want you to touch me. I want you to see that this is a physical, tangible, corporeal body that you can touch me, you can see me, uh, you can feel me, handle me. The Apostle John talked about this later on. He was in the room, and he, he, he was there to experience this. And the Apostle John said this in John 1.1, 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have looked in, uh, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, speaking of Jesus. John knew that he could touch, and he felt Jesus and felt his body. Notice verse 41 says this, and while they yet believed not for joy. Now, that's an interesting phrase. We have to pause for a second and try to understand what does that mean? And they believe not yet for joy. Well, we might say it this way. They thought it was too good to be true. That they were just so filled with joy that they were having a hard time believing. Is this true? Is this reality? They were overcome with emotion. They were excited. They were ecstatic. They were filled with emotion. But please hear me today. Jesus does not want us simply to have an emotional faith. He wants us to have a reasonable faith. Emotion can be a good thing, but emotion alone is a bad thing. 
Because it's not just about our emotions. It's not just about our feelings. And Jesus was not satisfied that they were emotional and that they were giddy. Jesus does not want us just to have some sort of easy believism where we're just ecstatic and excited. He wants us to recognize that we have a reasonable faith that is based on the historical reliability and the fact of a bodily resurrection. That we have evidence. And so Jesus, he's not, he's not satisfied with just simply their emotion that they believe not yet for joy. He wants to provide them further evidence. And so notice what he does in verse 41. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you here any meat? Now, I love the transition here because the disciples were going through an emotional roller coaster, right? They were happy. Then they were terrified. Now they're happy again. And then Jesus says, does anybody have any food? And uh, he wants to know, he wants to know, can we eat something? And uh, how many of you would say that you would classify yourself as a foodie? You're interested in food? All right. I see those hands. And, uh, and uh, interested in what's on the menu. I, I love that uh, Luke, he tells us what was on the menu that day. He's going to give us the details, okay? Notice what was on the menu when Jesus says, uh, do you have any food? Verse 42. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. How many of you already have your Easter lunch planned? Anybody like that? You have a, a planned lunch? Many of you don't have a planned lunch. If you don't have a planned lunch, may I uh, invite you to consider the biblical option of broiled fish and honeycomb, okay? That's, that's a biblical option if you're hungry. Luke tells us that was what was on the menu. And then notice what it says in verse 43. And he took it and he did eat before them. Again, what is he doing? He's showing them. He's showing them. This is not just a figment of your imagination. This is reality. There was a, there was a homicide detective and former atheist. His name is J. Warner Wallace. And he talks about his conversion and his skepticism of, of rejecting Christianity, rejecting the Bible, not believing this. And he talks about his, his, his conversion. He says this, my career as a detective had taught me to be skeptical of eyewitnesses, not knowing who to trust. Yet the gospel accounts were reliable, trustworthy, and well-documented records of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I accepted this evidence and became a Christian. He recognized that there is evidence for our faith, and we have uh, the reliability of the gospel record. And so today, he takes our chaos, and he gives us calm. He takes our concern, and he gives us credibility. He says it's okay to have questions because we have evidence for our faith. And then here's the third thought today. Number three is this. He takes our confusion, and he gives us clarity. I'm thankful when I'm confused in life, when I'm not sure what to do next or where to go or where to turn, that Jesus can provide clarity and purpose and direction for my life. And as we close today, I, I just want you to see three things that he tells his disciples to do. Uh, he, he's going to give them some instruction. By the way, the Bible says that we should not just be hearers of the word, but we should be doers as well. Sometimes we can come to church or we can open the Bible and we can hear some things, but we never allow what we hear to transform what we do. And so Jesus is going to give the disciples some instruction. And I want you to see the instruction that he gives. Uh, the first thing is this. He tells them to anchor their lives to Scripture. To anchor their lives to Scripture. Notice verse number 44. Are you still with me today? Yes, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus lists three divisions of the Hebrew Bible. He says, uh, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. These were the primary divisions of the Hebrew Bible. And what Jesus was saying is the entirety of the Old Testament is really all about one person. All things are concerning me. He was saying everything that you read in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, about the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12, I am the Passover lamb. 
You know the manna that you read about in Exodus chapter 17? I am the bread of life. You remember Genesis chapter 3 when there was the promise made that the seed of the, uh, would crush, that, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent? Uh, that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he defeated sin, that he defeated death, that he defeated gra- uh, the grave. And so when we read the Old Testament, we recognize that these stories are actually pointing ahead to Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus is our greater David, that Jesus is our greater Gideon, that Jesus is our greater Samson, that Jesus is our greater Moses, that Jesus is our greater Joseph, that all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about one person, Jesus Christ. And so he says, all things are concerning me. This is not just a disconnected book of different stories. This is a, a, a message of the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 45. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their understanding. Uh, how many of you have ever read something in the Bible and you were like, what in the world does that mean? Anybody there? Sounds like we can read something. I, mean, I don't know. I have no idea what that means. And so this is a prayer that we should pray on a daily basis. Lord, would you open my understanding so that I can understand that which I'm reading? That's so that I can understand that what he did for the disciples. And if he did it for the disciples, he can do it for you. He can open up your mind and your understanding so you can actually understand that what you're reading. The psalmist prayed, Lord, would you open my eyes so that I can behold the wondrous things out of thy law so that we can actually understand what we're reading. And so what is he saying? Anchor your life to the scripture. We're living in a world, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're living in a world where it is hard and becoming increasingly difficult to uh, ascertain what is true and what is false. Have you noticed this? We have... Uh, artificial intelligence. We have uh, so many uh, different things that we're trying to figure out are true. My brother, uh, Larry, he sent me a text message not too long ago, and it was a poem. And he wrote me a poem. And if you know my brother, he's, he's, not, a, he's not a poet. And, um, and he sent me this poem, and it said, Matt, you're the best brother I know. You're always there to lend a helping hand. No matter where life takes us, I know. I can always count on you to understand. You make me laugh. You make me think. You're my rock, my guiding light. I am so grateful to have you by my side. Matt, you are truly an amazing brother, so bright. And I read that, and I thought, where did that come from? And then he texted me right after and said that he had AI write that for him. Some robot just wrote this poem, and now I'm like, I don't know what to believe anymore, right? Some robot wrote me a poem pretending to be my brother. And uh, we live in a world, uh, in fact, uh, just two weeks ago, Italy banned AI. I don't know if you saw this, but they banned ChatGPT. They banned AI because they're concerned about the future of this technology. When we are concerned in life, who to trust? you that we have a more sure word of prophecy and if you know the truth the truth will set you free today we know that we have the word of God and it's reliable it's trustworthy and if God said it you can trust it so often in life we don't know what to believe but we should anchor our lives and anchor our worldview not to a feeling not to a government not to a politician but to the words of God So he tells them, anchor your life to scripture. But then he tells them, you need to acknowledge your need for a savior. He says this in verse 46. And he said unto them, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. And so he tells his disciples, this is very important, don't miss this. He says, you need to preach repentance. Repentance means you have a change of mind. You alter course. It's not just you feel bad about something. That's remorse. Repentance is, it it leads you to a decision. So repentance and then remission or forgiveness of sins. And so he's saying, you need to acknowledge your need for a savior. Can I tell you today that all of us have something in common today? We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. 
It doesn't matter how hard you try. Uh, there is no such thing as a perfect individual. There was only one perfect person who ever lived, and that was Jesus. And so we all fall short of God's glory. And our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. If our greatest need was an education, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was physical healing, he would have sent a doctor. But our greatest need was the forgiveness of sins, and so he sent a savior. And we have to acknowledge our need. And, and so often, here's what I want you to see. Our pride often stands in the way of us acknowledging our need. I was reading this past week, uh, the soccer player PK, Gerard PK. He was in the news because there was reported infidelity and he was not faithful to his wife and there was adultery. And, and, and he made this long social media post where he talked about this. And I, I thought what he said was so fascinating and really indicative of our culture today. He said, rather than acknowledging any wrongdoing or rather than acknowledging the pain of the situation, he said, and I quote, I just want to be faithful to myself. He didn't say you want to be faithful to a spouse. He said, I want to be faithful to myself. Please hear me. That's where our culture is today. I just want to be faithful to myself. I just want to do what makes me happy. I want to take care of myself. I just want to make sure that I can live out my truth. and Whatever feels good, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow my dreams. But can I tell you, the Bible says that we should not follow our heart because our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So it's not just about what I feel is right. When we do what we think is right, read the very last verse in the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there was so much sin and devastation and turmoil because of that. And so we have to acknowledge that we are sinners in our humility, that we need a Savior. Just like that man that Jesus had an encounter with that beat his chest and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. We have to acknowledge our need. And then the third thing that Jesus tells them to do is to activate their assignment. Notice verse 48. And you are witnesses of those things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. What was he saying? I have a purpose and I have a plan for your life. I want you to go and share this good news of the gospel message. Uh, so many people today are searching for purpose in life. Did you know that one of the most highly Googled searches, you can look it up today, one of the most common and highly Googled searches is what is my purpose in life? So many people are searching for purpose. What, what are we doing here? Like, be honest about that. Take a look in the mirror and say, what, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Why did God create me? Because so many people think that religion is just about rules. <laughs> so many people think, oh, religion is just things you can do, things you can't do. It's just a list of rules. This is just a big rule book. But following Jesus is not about rules to follow or rules to live by. He gives us a reason to live for. Something bigger and greater beyond ourselves. It's not just about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with the God that created you. And so he tells us, now you have purpose in life. If you're searching for purpose, you can find some sort of temporary cause in life. Just go on social media for five minutes. There's always a cause that you can support and live for. There's so many temporary purposes and temporary causes. But if you desire eternal purpose, that is only found in a relationship with Jesus. Because apart from that, then you can try to be the best person you can possibly be and live a great life. And then you die and that's it. That's the end. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will live on. And there is eternal life that is available. And that's the reason why we can celebrate today. That's the reason we can smile and say he is risen. He's risen indeed. Because the fact that Jesus conquered death means that we can as well. That we can live on as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, he's a German theologian and pastor. And he stood strong against the Nazi regime. And he actually ended up being executed for his faith. And the night before his execution... He was having kind of this Bible study with some friends. And the guards came in and said, it's time 
for your execution. It's time to go. So he closed his Bible. He looked at his friend and he said this. He said, this is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. This is the beginning. How could he say that? Because he knew that death is not the end of the road. That death for us is simply a bend in the road. And you will either spend forever with Jesus Christ in heaven or in a terrible place the Bible talks about called hell. And today we can have confidence that we know that we have a home in heaven. In fact, one time the disciples were asking Jesus about heaven and they said, heaven sounds nice. That sounds great. But how do we get there? How many of you would say that's a really great question to ask? Would you acknowledge that? I, I, I think that's a great question. In fact, if I was there that day and Jesus was talking about heaven, I think I might have. How do we get there? And when Jesus answered that question from Thomas, he said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. The only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. It's not through the church. It's not by being a good person. It's not about religion. It's only by receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. The last verse that I want to read today, I think, explains it so clearly. In Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if you're here today and you're not sure about your eternal destiny, you're not sure if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? I believe, based on scripture, not just on opinion, based on scripture, I believe that today can be the day of salvation for you that you can receive the good news of Jesus Christ, you can receive that gift, and you can know that you have a home in heaven when you die. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.